0: Welcome to Episode 3 of Beyond the Headset. I'm your host, Chase. On today's episode, I'd like to briefly give an overview of developments in game distribution and then consider what this means for smaller startups trying to break into the industry and make a living. There have been three distinct eras of game distribution. Cartridge, disc, and digital. Each of these have been made viable options for many years and continue to be used to this day, but all three have experienced periods of high market share. Cartridge-based games can't hold as much data as a disc like a DVD or a CD-ROM, but they do experience very fast load times, practically to the point where they're negligible. This was an advantage on systems like the Atari 2600, the Sega Saturn, and all of Nintendo's consoles through the Nintendo 64 with more limited computing power. Their lack of moving parts also make cartridges a great option for handheld gaming today. They continue to be used for the Nintendo 3DS and the PlayStation Vita. Disk-based gaming has many advantages stemming from the increased available storage space, bringing about a potential for better graphics and longer games. Disks also cost much less to produce and ship on a per-unit basis. This is still the standard for physical media sales in gaming. It's improving itself along with disk hardware improvements. If just considering consoles, then the PlayStation line represents three separate generations of disk-based media. The original PlayStation ran CD-ROMs, the PlayStation 2 ran DVD support, and the PS3 was at the forefront of Blu-ray support. The latter two consoles also have backward compatibility with previous versions of the system. Similar paths exist in PC gaming as well. Although the most recent iteration of consoles from Sony and Microsoft are not backwards compatible, this is in part a function of a shift towards digital distribution. The potential to download games, at least in theory, has existed for decades, even if it wasn't practical with the internet speeds of most potential users. However, this type of distribution allows for content to be released to the public with much lower overhead costs. Physical production and transportation of media does not have to be a barrier to access. Now, every console has a dedicated store for purchasing and downloading games and related content such as demos or DLC for expanding the experience. These types of stores on iOS and Android devices have created a multi-billion dollar industry and brought gaming to every conceivable demographic. This is especially caught on with PC gamers with the customization and options that come into play. There are many stores and ways online to purchase games and other content digitally. However, the most popular of these right now is Steam, a store created and curated by developer Valve. For the purposes of simplicity, I'm going to primarily focus on Steam in my discussion of digital distribution, as it's been estimated that 75% of all downloaded PC games are purchased from this service. The Steam store has a massive library of content and a robust structure for helping users to make purchasing decisions held up by a fully integrated community for users where reading reviews of games and trading of items for other items or money can be accomplished easily. The popularity of the store, especially during its annual sales, is such that many users are willing to take chances on games they may never have heard of before based on recommendations from the community. The importance of this to indie developers cannot be overstated. The trust in the curation of Valve toward the indie games put on Steam allow the community to feel more confident in purchasing titles from new developers with plenty of talent, but perhaps not the same resources and experience as the titans of the industry. There is a program called Steam Greenlight meant to introduce indie titles to the Steam store based on what the community decides it wants to play. Developers of potentially distributed games submit descriptions, screenshots, and video, and then users vote in what they'd like to see on the store. Eventually, games which are greenlit and complete their development have the chance to be played by everyone and make money for their developers. A lot of money in some lucky cases. I read an article by the developer of a game called Cook Serve Delicious, who had previously released his game on iOS and Android, and made a decent, but relatively small, sum of money, averaging around $3,000 each month between the two platforms. He writes about when he got greenlit by Steam, the pricing scheme of $9.99 Valve suggested, and how he made $50,000 in just the first week of its availability a figure matched in only eight hours when it was placed at a 75% discount during a flash sale. By January of 2014, he had already made over $130,000 from selling his game on Steam, with sales coming in consistently after that. With programs such as this, game development becomes more a more ideal meritocracy than the industry dominated by personal connections. This is good for all parties involved, as it increases competition and in turn forces quality and innovation up. Later this week, I'll be back to discuss another issue that comes up in a lot of gamer culture, which was touched upon in my interview with Arthur from last week. The idea of immersion and the way players interact with their games. Until then, I can be contacted at Reverend Chase on Twitter if you have any questions or comments about the show. Thanks again for listening.